Welcome to the Veterinary Career Services Podcast, where we talk with veterinary specialists about hospital culture, career insights, work-life balance, professional growth, and other aspects of being a veterinarian. I am your host and the CEO, Laura Anderson. Thank you for joining me. It shakes their beliefs. They have nightmares uh, during the day. Their heart pounds, persistent anger, guilt. So you mix burnout and secondary traumatic stress. Bam, that's compassion fatigue. Today, I'm speaking with Barbara Rubel. Barbara is a leading authority and award-winning author on managing occupational burnout, secondary traumatic stress, compassion fatigue, empathetic distress fatigue, and vicarious trauma. Barbara motivates audiences to build career resilience through the lens of vicarious trauma-informed care. Her programs help professionals manage workplace chronic stressors. Barbara, thank you so much for joining me today. It's absolutely my pleasure being here, and thank you for caring about those who care for animals, pets, and four-legged creatures and those who companion them. Absolutely. Today, many believe that there is a mental health crisis in the veterinary industry today. Research and studies have pointed to numerous factors that are contributing to this, but it seems like there's the perfect storm, and it's truly jeopardizing the health of veterinary healthcare professionals. So I wanted to talk with you, learn more about compassion fatigue, and give those who are struggling some options and some resources. That's great. Love to do that. I think that we first have to define it because people don't even know what they're experiencing. They just think, oh, I'm so exhausted or I'm so stressed out. But what they're experiencing is compassion fatigue, and it's made up of two elements occupational burnout and secondary traumatic stress. So the burnout part of it is from chronic workplace stress that they're not managing. They may not have the resources to do their job the way they need to do it. They may have an incompetent supervisor that, you know, maybe doesn't even create teamwork. They just, their energy is depleted. They're exhausted. They feel mentally distanced from the job. They're negative. They're cynical. And what's really impacting is they have reduced professional efficacy. So burnout is one part of compassion fatigue. The other part is secondary traumatic stress. When they work with animals or they're working with people who work in animal cruelty or they see the cruelty to animals or they have to put a pet to sleep, uh, families are psychologically suffering. Now, Those family members who love their pets, they have basically primary traumatic stress. What happens in the helper is an acute stress reaction. It's secondary to that primary trauma. They feel vulnerable. They don't trust people. They have this intrusive re-experiencing, these intrusive thoughts. They go home and they're sleeping, but they wake up reliving the family or the pet's trauma. It shakes their beliefs. They have nightmares uh, during the day. Their heart pounds, persistent anger, guilt. So you mix burnout and secondary traumatic stress, bam, that's compassion fatigue. And how is compassion fatigue different from vicarious trauma? 
Vicarious trauma is when they witness or learn about a traumatic experience that happened. Vicarious trauma is a mix of the secondary traumatic stress symptoms that I just mentioned and negative cognitive changes in their sense of self. It actually mm -hmm. moves to changing the way their brain thinks about their identity. They no longer feel safe. They don't trust themselves or others. Um, it, it impacts their, their esteem, their value for themselves and others. They question their own abilities. It moves to intimacy, their relationships, their connections. Also, their feelings of a lack of control. They feel helpless. Their sense of self changes and their worldview changes. When you're vicariously traumatized, it impacts, impacts the core of who you are. So when you're compassion fatigued, that's when you're experiencing the burnout and the secondary traumatic stress. And it's very possible you could experience both at the same time. Can you define empathic distress? Oh, yes. Many people think that they have compassion fatigue, which is wanting to help, right? Compassion fatigue, compassion means to, to help someone, right? But empathic distress is not due to compassion. It is not due to wanting to help. Help. Empathic distress is when you actually recognize or you feel the person's emotional state. When you say to them, I'm, I'm so sorry, there's nothing I can do to keep your pet alive. Or you see and hear and feel what they're, they're going through empathically and you over identify with their negative emotions. So what happens to you as a helper is you are overwhelmed from this empathic engagement and the symptoms, basically, if you want to know like symptoms, you become numb, you become distance and your anxiety goes through the roof. Sure. But remember, empathic is not due to compassion. It's due to empathy where compassion fatigue is due to compassion and wanting to help. So it seems that many veterinarians and technicians, I mean, is it possible that they could struggle with all three of these? Yes, it's a perfect storm. And that's the problem. We don't know how to define it because we don't learn about these things in medical school, veterinarian school. We, we don't learn about these things. And so we just think we're stressed out. And that's why there's such retention issues. And that's why there's such addiction issues in the world. Because if we don't define what we are going through, if we don't understand it, define it, understand the symptomology, then how can we possibly get through it? And so that's why I'm so happy that you invited me today because you're making it clear to the listeners, it's not just stress. Yes, stress is there without question, but it's compassion fatigue, burnout, secondary trauma, vicarious trauma, moral injury. I mean, there's so much there. And by educating, we become empowered. So for our listeners, tell me this. How do you know if you are experiencing compassion fatigue? What are the symptoms? I'm a suicidologist. My father died by suicide many years ago while I was in the hospital giving birth to triplets. And so I studied about suicide prevention, intervention, and postvention, and it became a part of my world. And so many of us, when we are feeling helpless or hopeless, we become suicidal. And that's why it's really important to know when you're experiencing compassion fatigue, because one of the major symptoms is feeling helpless, is feeling detached, 
and also withdrawing. And we all know that if we withdraw, then we're not talking to our friends and family. We're not going to therapy. We're not interacting and being held in whatever we're experiencing. So you may feel helpless, detached, loss of interest in things. If you're experiencing compassion fatigue, you might have shifts in mood. Insomnia is a huge problem and addiction as well. But every single person has different symptoms. It could be one thing and that one thing, let's say insomnia and you're not sleeping, you're getting up in the middle of the night, you know, cold sweats or shifts in mood, then you know, okay, this is the only thing that's really impacting me, but I need to get help. And there are many, many people out there who are there to help you, peers, peer mentors, therapists, psychologists, social workers. You're not alone when you're feeling compassion fatigue. So what would be the first step, Barbara, in getting help? First step is reaching out to someone. If you have an HR, an EAP, or go online there, a lot of people do not want to go into therapy. And so there are virtual therapists now. You can just do it through virtual therapy. Look online for those in your neighborhood, or if you want to go live, virtual, just look for someone who focuses in on compassion fatigue and burnout and workplace issues. This is all types of therapists. They're, they DBT, cognitive behavioral, somatic experiencing. You know, there are so many different types and we just have to find the right person that fits your personality and your issues. One thing that I have seen with many of my clients is that in order to help their doctors and the technicians and staff, they are hiring social workers that are fully employed by the hospital and are available to the employees if they need help, if they want to seek resources. And they are in the hospitals in a full-time capacity and available to um, provide more information, provide resources. A lot of hospital owners are also finding other alternatives and resources, continuing education programs, symposiums, and, and other ways to support the employees of the hospital. And I, I see that more and more with my clients. So one other question that I want to ask is, if you're a veterinarian and you're working very closely with your dedicated technician, how do you identify compassion fatigue in another person? Well, very often they have the same behaviors as you because we're all humans. So are they feeling helpless, detached, lost interest in things? Do you see a shift in their mood? Are they withdrawing addiction? You know, the same thing you see in yourself, you see in them. Now, I'm a keynote speaker. And so I go across the country and very often it's healthcare professionals and mental health professionals, especially social workers. And what I have found is that we are more alike than we are different. But social workers in particular, they're true helpers. They have a high empathy level and they have a high compassion level. So it's very important for them to take care of themselves as they're taking care of others. The same symptoms you see in yourself, those are the symptoms that you have to get help for. It's not just about helping others. It's really also about helping yourself. And so when you notice one of your colleagues that's suffering, is it a good idea 
to approach them? Or do you think if the hospital employs a social worker, it's a better idea to go to the social worker and ask them to reach out? Absolutely. Yeah. We need each other. It's very, very important because when we support each other, then we find meaning in our work. It's about making meaning of our job. And when we make meaning of our work, it can lessen the compassion fatigue. When we nurture interpersonal connections, when we have friendships, that also mitigates the impact of compassion fatigue. When we recognize the contributions at work and how we are doing the work that we need to do for the greater good, you know, for animals, for families, for it's our passion, that will lessen compassion fatigue. But we need to talk about it. We need to self-disclose. We need to get help if we need help. I work with many young doctors, residents who are just completing their residency and and, uh, starting their first post-residency job, young veterinarians who have recently graduated from veterinary school. And I want to give them some tools to put in their toolbox as to how to uh, give their career more longevity, more professional satisfaction. And my question is, is there a way to prevent compassion fatigue? Are there things you can do to safeguard your mental health that will serve you throughout your career? And, and how can you start off like that, even if you don't have any symptoms? Yes, yes. During my, my programs, I, I ask those in attendance, who's just starting out? And, and half the room is starting out and half the room is ready to retire. And what I have found is that If you could get these individuals in the beginning of their career, there is less chance of compassion fatigue. You know, if we're going to talk about ways to prevent it, I just want to just share very briefly. It was the week of September 11th, 2001, 911. I was a hospice bereavement coordinator. I was facilitating a suicide loss support group. I was also teaching a master's level class at Brooklyn College. I was teaching health crisis intervention. It was during that week when I felt compassion fatigue and vicarious trauma. I felt helpless. I had issues with insomnia, but it was not so much the beginning of my career. It was the middle of my career and I didn't know what to do. And so I decided to look at studies look at the research, I became educated and empowered. And what I created from that experience back from 2001 is a deep dive into the research. And I created this fabulous framework. So how do we as helpers build our resilience? How do we take our strengths and put them into practice to mitigate the impact of compassion fatigue and vicarious trauma? So it's F-A-B-U- L-O-U-S. Fabulous. So F is about flexibility. So that's the first element of the fabulous framework. Having a flexible mindset. That's being open-minded. Maybe you say, okay, you know what? Barbara mentioned getting into therapy. Maybe I'll try that. Or becoming more spiritual, a positive energy. You're connected to something bigger than yourself. Maybe you'll make meaning. You know, all this builds trust knowledge sharing, work engagement, become more of a flexible thinker. But also we also, after COVID, we really need to recognize flexibility in the workplace. 
a flexible workplace. That means maybe sometimes working from home, leaving work early, and getting into the needs. If you're a leader or a supervisor, what do you need to do in order to maintain the mental health of your employees? So that was the F. A is attitude. It's the second element of the fabulous framework. It's all about your frame of mind, your outlook on asking for help, your attitude on gratitude, because, you know, gratitude reinforces your self-control. What are you grateful for? You know, it generates a sense of connection. So your attitude makes you think positively. So focus on flexibility and attitude and really ask yourself, what am I most grateful for in my life? Because that puts you into a positive frame of mind. B in fabulous is boundaries. Boundaries is so important. You know, if you, it makes you more productive, it lowers your stress. You can set yourself as an example for other people who work in your office. You're not overwhelmed. The fourth element is understanding job satisfaction why you love what you do. There needs to be a fit between your job description, your responsibilities, your needs. Do you have a trusted leader, working conditions, culture, you paid well, and accomplishing your goals. Like you, you can make decisions, ongoing education, using your skills, making a difference. So you also, when you understand job satisfaction, you have to identify how your organizational mission, their vision mirrors your values and attitudes. If they're if they are not the same, you're in the wrong organization. The fifth element that I looked into all the research and the studies was on laughter. It's about having a sense of humor because if you have a sense of humor and you can laugh, it lowers your levels of loneliness and increases your mental well-being. The sixth element is optimism. So all this is based on the research to build your resilience in a very stressful workplace. So optimism, having high expectations, knowing the situation is temporary, that you're flourishing in, in life. You're connected to something on a deeper level. You're applying your strengths. You're mindful. You recognize awe-inspiring moments. You go outside, you look at the sky, you're not alone. Other people are doing the same. You have to try to stay optimistic. The seventh element is you, united. It's about connections. It's about relationships. It's about knowing that you are not alone. And the last part of the fabulous framework is self-compassion. It's Kristen Neff's work, being kind to yourself when you screw up and knowing that everyone makes mistakes, have a balanced view, don't over, you know, put too much energy into that horrible thing, make it more like, okay, it's balanced. So the bottom line then is being fabulous. It is about F-A-B-U-L-U-S, flexibility, attitude, boundaries, understanding job satisfaction, laughter, optimism, being united, and self-compassion. And that is based on the last, basically, I, I've created it now from the last five years of research on building resilience. It's very simple. That's wonderful. Now, you teach a program in career resilience. Is this fabulous part of the program that you teach? Oh, it's my keynote. Yeah. I travel across the country. I just... it's yeah. your, Okay. So can you tell us more about your programs in case any of our listeners want to reach out? Oh, I'd be more than happy to. Thank you. Well, they could reach out to me on LinkedIn and follow me. This way they could follow my work. 
and it's Barbara Rubel, R-U-B-E-L. My website is griefworkcenter.com, G-R-I-E-F. W-O-R-K-C-E-N-T-E-R.com. I offer keynotes and trainings on building resilience in healthcare and mental health professionals and first responders. I'm currently writing a book on police wellness. So many people in, in, in different workplaces are experiencing everything that we talked about today. So it's really important to just ask yourself good questions. You know, what's giving you the ability to do what you do? What makes it possible for you to remain positive? You know, just focus on the positive in your life and reach out to people that make you laugh and get training. Reach out to me. You could email me at my name, Barbara Rubel at barbarubel.com. And basically find the giggle in life. Everyone is so upset right now. They're angry. It's about finding places of laughter and joy. That sounds like wonderful advice to me. I always feel happier after I have a good laugh. <laughs> yes. And, and, and we need it. We need it. And there's all types of laughter, you know? We do. Just Find what works for you and, and enjoy your life. Enjoy the people in your life. You chose this career for a reason. Stay true to that reason. Make meaning of your career. And it's recognize how difficult it is. There's loss. I'm a thanatologist. That's the study of death, dying, and bereavement. My specialty is sudden traumatic loss. We've all experienced loss in our life. And so we have to recognize that we're impacted by that. We have to live with it, make meaning of it, but use our strengths to manage all those experiences, whether we're using critical thinking or being careful or determined or kindness, playful, hopeful. There's so many strengths. What is your greatest strength and how are you going to put it into practice? Well, thank you, Barbara. This has been wonderful. Anyone out in the audience would like to reach out to Barbara and or reach out to me, I can put you in touch with her. Thank you so much for giving us this knowledge, defining the various diagnoses and offering resources. I truly want to help those in veterinary medicine. And again, if there's anything that, uh, if I can help you uh, reach out to Barbara, please let me know. And Barbara, you're just tremendous. Uh, you're just such a, a tremendous asset. So thank you so much for speaking with me today. My pleasure. Let's leave everyone with a question. So imagine that you met an older version of yourself right now. You just met an older version of yourself. What advice would you give your younger self? So your future self talking to your younger self or your present self. Yes. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> because during this program, we talked about getting help and talking to others. Talk to yourself. <laughs> well, thank you, Barbara. Thank you very much. Thank you so much.